Hello and welcome to Checked Out. We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Christine Piles, the Youth Services Manager here at the library, filling in for Casey Armstrong. And I'm Mike Stein, Assistant Manager of Adult Services. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people and our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today, we're talking about historic women. Our special guest is Ruth Pangrace, an actress and educator with the organization Women in History, which educates people through the recreation of lives of notable women in history. Ruth, welcome to Checked Out. Well, thank you very much. I'm excited to be able to speak with you. So tell us a little bit about your group and what your role is with them. Okay, I'm happy to do that. Uh, Women in History was actually formed in 1991 by a group of Lakewood women who were joining the celebration of Cleveland's Bicentennial. And they were asked to actually create a fashion show with some vintage clothing. And it was a great success and well-received. And I believe at that time, it might've been five women um, were so transformed when they put on these, these clothes from um, say Lucy Mather or, or some of the notable Cleveland women from centuries ago that they felt that it would be a responsibility and also just such a beautiful um, tribute to these women. If not only we wore their clothes, but they also told their stories. They felt a responsibility to tell women's stories. And so Women in History was born from that experience. They took those same clothes and then they developed a little bit of a, of a portrayal around each of the women that they had modeled for this celebration. They did their own research. They wrote their own scripts. <laughs> Um, they put costumes together and they began to do these portrayals of notable American. At first, it was Cleveland women, but notable American women at libraries and schools and civic groups around the greater Cleveland area. Well, the group just really has grown significantly um, over the years. And currently, we are a group of 14 actress educators um, who portray more than 80 notable American women from the past 400 years of our country's history. And we still perform at schools and universities and libraries in the area. We also perform at very many senior centers, uh, civic groups, again, churches. And we're very proud of the fact that we've also performed at several uh, Chautauqua festivals all around the all around the country. Um, my role is I've been with the group since 1998. I joined the group um, when they needed Eleanor Roosevelt. And I was more than happy to jump in in that role. And now I portray more than 11 different characters. Eleanor Roosevelt is always my very favorite. I also serve as the secretary for the group. I take um, charge of the, um, uh, the phones and the emails that come to Women in History from groups that are looking for a program. And we offer such a wide variety of programs now, um, both single programs and group performances. So I do the scheduling and kind of keep track of the calendar. So uh, I am a retired teacher. And I have done women in history, even as a retired teacher, I did it just in the evenings and on weekends. And now I'm really happy that I can um, do these programs, portray these women, share these stories um, uh, seven days a week, anytime that I'm called to do so. It's, it's just a passion and an absolute joy. You mentioned that there are 14 actresses. How do you find these actresses to do this work? Um, that's challenging. Um, there probably are, I would say, maybe half a dozen that are among the women that joined the group in the 1990s and early 2000s. We are always recruiting. Um, very many of our actresses have extensive stage experience in the Cleveland area, um, in regional theaters and on professional stages. 
So very often we tap into other actresses, professional actresses, people with a lot of experience on stage. We all seem to know someone who is interested in history, who maybe has a a real skill at at writing stories, who enjoys the research process. So we are currently uh, uh, looking for Number one, uh, a younger generation of women to join our group and portray some of the younger characters whose stories are just as compelling. Um, We are always looking to increase the diversity of our group. We are always looking for uh, more women of color. And we are just always there. The more stories we tell, the more we uncover, actually. And so uh, we are very excited, always adding. And a lot of it is word by mouth. A lot of it is putting up um, notices for auditions or for interested people around uh, universities and in theater theaters and such. So we all are constantly working on that particular um, objective, increasing our ranks. So are there certain historical women that are in demand that people want to see more often than others? Or how do you decide which performances you're going to do? We uh, decide what we're going to do when we get a call, whether it's our our phone or whether it's um, through our email. I would just say our our website is womeninhistoryohio.com which has both our phone contact and email contact, um, they contact us. And sometimes um, they know exactly who they want us to portray. Um, Sometimes a group might be considering somebody that has a a spiritual message. Sometimes somebody wants someone who is a first lady. Sometimes a group may want a program that's light and entertaining. And we have several women that portray characters that are from the entertainment industry. So um, I guide them. So I've been in the group so long. I kind of guide them towards a program I think will work for their audiences. If they uh, ask for somebody specifically, we do our best to make sure that that person is available for the dates that the group wants them to perform. We've even had people sometimes, uh, we've had a, a group from New York who had a request for a special woman. It was in a... Um, utopian society in New York on Long Island, and they wanted someone from our group to portray this this wonderfully quaint and and progressive woman by the name of Minnie Merton. Um, No one in Cleveland had ever heard of her, but occasionally we will take on a special request like that and develop a character for a very special purpose or a very special event. We have another one of our actresses who portrays Dr. Mary Evans, who I'm not sure if you know who that is or not, but she was the first president of Lake Erie College. And so Ann McAvoy, who is another very well-established actress in the greater Cleveland area, took on that goal of creating a new character for the events that Lake Erie College has, where they can have the president, the first female president actually appears and, and talks about her role there and the influence that she's had on that college. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much how we, how we book our shows. How much planning and preparation goes into portraying these historic women? Um, a lot of it depends on how much information is out there about these women. Eleanor Roosevelt, for instance, I mean, there are multiple books, there are videos, there are programs, there are articles. There are so many different sources to build a story like hers. Takes a little bit longer if if you're doing something, someone like uh, Phoebe Sutliff, who was a a suffragist in Warren County, and we're doing a program about her in um, June, I believe, May or June. That takes a little bit more time because we have to dig a little deeper. Generally, I would say when we are preparing a new character and sometimes sometimes the women in our group just say, I've always really been interested in Julia Child. And so if if one of us just thinks this would be a great character portray, I love her story from start to finish, it probably takes anywhere between six months to a year to really feel 
that we can portray that woman. Um, I'm very proud of the high quality of our programs, both in the actress's backgrounds, their research, their writing, um, rehearsing for a portrayal. It, it takes that long before it's really ready for an audience. We check on each other. Very, We have a, a person in our group who kind of helps the new roles or the new um, women who are coming into the group uh, fine tune their performances. And, and so, again, I, I think that the programs we offer are very well researched. Um, as I said, the vast majority of our actresses have a background in theater. And so they're well researched and they're, they're beautifully performed, dramatic portrayals in costume and character. And we also really enjoy the questions and answers. After each performance, a typical performance would be, we, we say, an hour. 45 minutes in costume and character with this dramatic portrayal and always 15 minutes for questions and answers. And because we've done such extensive research, we love that opportunity to get feedback from the audience and answer those questions. And we like to feel that most of the time we can answer the questions and sometimes we can't. But then we know where to go back and look those answers up to do a little bit more research and very often we also learn from our audience members tidbits or um, perspectives, perhaps that um, we didn't know before. So all of our, um, our portrayals are constantly evolving as as we as times change and as our um, research and our experiences change. And going back to Eleanor Roosevelt, you said she's one of your favorites to Absolutely. perform. Why is that the case? And are there others that you really like to do as well? I just have a difficult time portraying Eleanor Roosevelt and actually not getting teary myself because I'm so inspired by this woman who overcame so many people aren't aware of what a, a horrific childhood she had and what a difficult adulthood she had as she struggled um, with criticism and, and um, people making fun of her voice, her appearance, her activism and betrayed by her own personal family by her husband, and in some cases, even her um, her own children. Hers was just a lifelong struggle. And yet she triumphed over all of that despair and emerged as one of the great humanitarians and not just human women who is a, a woman who is a humanitarian, but just one of the most inspiring humanitarians I think that this country has ever seen. I never get tired of portraying her. My mother, before she passed, would come along with me when I would portray Eleanor Roosevelt. And she saw me to that portrayal probably at least 15 or 20 times. And she said every time it was a little bit different. Um, I always learned something from someone in the audience who said, I, I, I knew Eleanor helped the nurses during the war. My husband met Eleanor when he was serving, you know, uh, overseas and she came to visit the hospitals. And my uncle saw Eleanor driving along in her roadster, you know, whipping out of the, the White House driveway. And, and she always like loves speed. Um, these anecdotes just really enrich my appreciation, and my, my the kinship I feel with her. So she's absolutely my favorite. Sometimes I, I enjoy, but I sometimes admit are the bad girls. I think sometimes the famous are exciting to portray, but the infamous are exciting and fun to portray as well. The other first lady that I portray is Florence Harding from a scandal rocked presidency in 1920. And those audiences generally have to be um, a little bit more mature because that's definitely an R-rated story, but it's it's just got so much humor in it. Um, one of my newest characters that has been very popular is Cassie Chadwick. Uh, Cassie Chadwick was a Clevelander. She was a con woman and she was embroiled in the trial of the century in the early 1900s. She was a farm girl from Canada, 
who came down to Cleveland to make a living. And she did it by bilking men and banks out of millions of dollars, especially when she claimed to be the illegitimate daughter of Andrew Carnegie. She spent time in prison, but I love telling her story uh, about this con woman, this fraud who was actually quite brilliant that she was able to pull that off in those days. So um, she's also one of my favorites. I love portraying Susan B. Anthony. Um, Susan B. Anthony very often is initially looked at as very stern. Her, her photographs, you know, make her look very grumpy and such. And yet that woman was an absolute dynamo with so much bravery and resilience. I enjoyed telling her story um, to children. Uh, we, but as, as you said, we, we perform for all ages. I particularly especially love um, audiences of children because, number one, they don't know who these women are. They've never heard stories of these women. And yet we try really hard to make these stories relatable. And the little girls um, in the audience, after they heard the story of Susan B. Anthony, were all about girl power and, and I can do it and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And and first of all, they were shocked, you know, what women's conditions were before. Susan B. Anthony and, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Alice Paul all were so active in the women's movement. Um, but I, I just like to feel that this these stories, hearing these stories makes a lasting impression on our young people. What is the most rewarding thing about what you do? The most rewarding thing, I think, is when people in the audience hang back to talk to me after a performance is over, after the program is over. And, the, you know, they take my hand and they they looked me in the eye and they just said, I just felt like she was with me. I feel like I know this woman now. And it's really satisfying when when they they laugh at your jokes. And it's even more moving when you actually see them wipe their eyes a little bit, you know, that they get a tear or something when, when you're speaking about the challenges, the obstacles um, that these women faced before they were able to to achieve what they set out to achieve. So probably, yes, the, the response from the audience, I think, would probably be the most satisfying. Well, we've had some of these performances at the library, and I went to one once with kind of experts. Oh, what the heck is this? What's this going to be? I'm going to be bored. I'm not interested in this. And it was an amazing performance. It was a woman. I forget her name. She inhabited Harriet Tubman and really portrayed oh, yes. a person you know, I couldn't say that it was wrong. It sounded like that was how she would be. She was in the character the entire time. It was uh, it was just an amazing performance. She got into the details of it all. What are some of the reactions that you receive from audience members? You just mentioned them, but uh, I mean, is that the typical expectation or reaction from people that go to these things? I think it is because, as I said, the quality of our programs is so high. You probably saw Sherry Tolliver, who was a veteran actress who's been with Women in History from the beginning and who portrays, I think, more than 20, maybe 25 different notable American women of color. And, and she also has been on the stage of the Cleveland Playhouse. So she is just a wonderful actress and passionate about the stories that she shares. So yes, I'd say most of the time we would get very positive reactions like that. We love when somebody says, I never knew that before. I had no idea. And very often that's especially the case with the black experience in this country. There are so many adults who just weren't aware of what it was really like. So we enjoy that positive reaction, that kind of feedback. Um, it's incredibly gratifying and rewarding um, to be able, as I said, to share these very, very important stories and, and to kind of honor these women in some way, especially the women that didn't ever experience honor or admiration in their lifetime. 
that, that we can we can honor them that way now by just acknowledging them, remembering them and lifting them up a little bit as as examples, as inspiration for, for future generations, especially as we said of women. History books are written by men. I was I'm a retired history teacher and most of the stories are about men. I mean, Harriet Tubman would probably get a paragraph in the social studies book. And, and now, you know, she gets a whole hour to tell her story. The fact that we get that kind of feedback and that kind of appreciation for what we do excites us even more about what we do. Most women have either other careers or certainly a lot of them have their own families. And, and you know, we, we're not going to get rich doing this, but we just are that committed to doing what we do and incredibly proud of what we do and feel blessed to have the opportunity to do what we do. You've touched on this a little bit, but why is it so important to experience history this way? One obvious part of that answer would be that because history repeats itself. And just when you think that people must have learned the lessons in the past, lo and behold, we we see it happening again. And so we have to constantly be reminded about, you know, how humans have treated other humans in the past so that we don't make those kinds of mistakes again. It increases our awareness so that we can be better human beings by learning to be um, tolerant and not even just tolerant, but supportive of populations that have not been able to enjoy the same freedoms that we enjoy in our lives. As I said, it's a responsibility to honor these women that that worked so hard, that dedicate their lives, that made such sacrifices. So. I think from there, hopefully people emerge uh, more aware, more compassionate, wiser. Um, we like to think so many in so many ways, you know, that somehow it changes people when you hear these stories or when you when you study. A lot of people are um, what also excites us is when some people say, after I saw this performance, I went to the library and I got more books on her because I wanted to know more. Wow. What a huge compliment that is when you actually motivate somebody else to go and start doing some research on their own. We've had high school children come up to us and say, I want to do what you do. I want to be part of National History Day because I want to learn more about these characters as well. So all of those parts, I think, are um, important about what we do and, and keeping history alive. Um, our history, those are the beautiful threads that made this tapestry. And, and we're continuing to create that tapestry. Can't ignore, you can't pull certain things out and, and say that didn't happen. We just take also great care, painstaking care to make sure that all of the programs we present are historically accurate. And as an audience member, I can say it really brings the person to life. If you're reading a book about them, you can easily just skim over things, kind of mm -hmm. Tune out, phase out, even watching a movie. But when you're sitting there listening to the person basically perform their life, that really makes it a real thing. And it's hard to ignore when you're listening to somebody doing it well for close to an hour. You're, you're like, wow, that actually happened to somebody. That's well, a real thing. Thank you very much, Mike, for that um, testimonial that you actually <laughs> witnessed a, a, one of the programs and that you had such a positive um, reaction to it. So I, I just appreciate your library's support of our group and the fact that you schedule us regularly. And, and there's quite a few of us that have been there. And always mm -hmm. the audience is, is um, so responsive and so engaged. And um, we really enjoy coming out to Euclid anytime we're asked. So you talked about the research that you guys put in for all these performances. Do you recommend any books or have any favorite biographies of Eleanor Roosevelt or any of your other favorites that you recommend? That's catching me a little bit off guard. And there's so many for, for so many um, different women. Eleanor Roosevelt, I love the uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin 
biography, I believe. And then, um, oh, goodness, I forgot what the other one was that I that I normally use. It's almost three parts because Eleanor's story, it's in three different volumes because Eleanor's story was so huge that it had to be written in three different um, biographies. Uh, her name escapes me at the moment, but um, and we we all read several books. So can't say I can't say right off, off the top of my head a uh, specific book. We Google Amazon or we Google, you know, the bookstores for the um, high. And we visit the libraries where we pull out sometimes four or five books at a time. Doris Kearns Goodwin is certainly an excellent recommendation. Yeah. OK, good. Thank you. I'm glad I, I'm glad that name came to me. <laughs> is there anything else you would like us to know that you didn't cover today? I would like to say that if anybody listens to this broadcast and they think that sounds so cool and 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 you love to read and you love to to do research and uncover a, a woman and what her role was in our country's history if you love performing or sharing stories give us a call as i said we're always open to adding new members uh we actually ask for an audition, but a very abbreviated audition to join. Uh, there's a lot of support if you join. In particular, we're looking for, for younger women to portray younger women that had great impact on our on our history. We are always looking for women of color. We feel uh, we have a void there. We had a couple people, the beloved Sherry Tolliver that I spoke of earlier, moved out of state. And uh, we had a few of our members move away or some just finally retire. So we have a, a very, very large need for more women of color in the group um, or uh, Asian women, uh, Latino women, and uh, anybody who might be interested at all, or if someone is interested in, in helping out with the research, um, helping out with costuming, we appreciate that. Again, the website is womeninhistoryohio.com and I'm the one who checks the emails, so I would be the one getting your message if you wanted to help, if you wanted more information at all. Um, I also just can't emphasize enough how passionate we are about sharing these stories and how we just would wish that some people would realize it's not like listening to a lecture. Um, as, as Mike was describing so beautifully, it's an experience that you feel you actually get to meet someone sharing a story that is is compelling, moving, um, funny. All of those things. It's it's almost like a theater experience, except it's one person. We do programs with more than one person as well. We actually offer um, first lady teas where several first ladies get together and talk, you know, kind of share the scoop on their, their husbands and compare notes. We have a suffragist town hall where the suffragists, you know, get together out of space and time and talk about their roles in the movement. Um, we have a um, lighthearted program uh, called the Golden Age of Hollywood, where two gossip columnists from the 40s and 50s share the gossip there. They were rivals. They were uh, Hedda Hopper and Wella Parsons were rival columnists and finally rival radio broadcasters who shared the scoops on the Hollywood movie idols of that time. And that show is, is, is funny and light. We would put together almost any kind of group show that a, a venue requested. So um, we're flexible. We uh, just really work hard on adapting all of our programs to best meet the needs of any audience, you know, whether you kind of know what you want or you don't. But most importantly, um, I think uh, any venue would feel like they were also doing something extremely positive by offering a program such as ours to their audience or to their group. 
um, groups can be as small as 10 or 20, or I think some of the largest groups have been 500. I hope I don't sound gushy, but I just feel so incredibly enthusiastic about our group. And um, I just hope that I can convey that to encourage people uh, to either get involved with us, support us in any way. Um, if you just like the idea and you want to support us, go to our, our website and you can even make a contribution that helps support. I mean, of course, we're a nonprofit and, and that's always a, a challenge too in these times. Um, and if not supporting in some way, at least look on our website for our calendar and see where we're performing at libraries and, and show up. Most of the time, that's a free opportunity. If you have any kind of group, whether it's church group or school group, contact us and let us put together a program for you. And I've been in this group since 1998. I've been secretary for a very long time. I've never had, I've never had anyone contest and say they were disappointed. And one thing before you go, Ruth, we didn't touch on this, but I would like to get you to tell us a little bit about the costumes. How do those come about? How do you decide what the performers are going to wear? Where do the materials come from? Are they handmade? What's what's the story behind the costumes? It's kind of all of the above. And um, after the research and the writing and the rehearsals are done, that really is a very fun part. I mean, certainly we study photographs or um, paintings or any kind of source that we can find that would give us a um a blueprint for what that character might look like, what she specifically might wear. And not only uh, clothing, but accessories, her hair, shoes, even. Some of the clothing that we have is actual vintage clothing. I have one piece from um, a civil, I portray a Civil War spy, crazy bad Elizabeth Van Lu. And the jacket I used to wear over the long black skirt was actually from the 1860s. And it's incredibly fragile. It doesn't smell very good. But uh, it was just exquisite, but it's like tissue paper. And every time I breathed, I could hear it. Finally, one woman at a performance said, you should not be wearing that. That is actually should be in a museum somewhere. So I kind of just set that aside. But we have some things that are vintage. There's a lot of wonderful vintage stores in the Cleveland area. Chelsea's comes to mind. Sweet Lorraine comes to mind. Some museums sometimes and theaters, you know, get rid of their clothes. So sometimes we're lucky enough to find a vintage dress or hat or gloves or shoes that work for some of our um period dresses, we have them made. There are seamstresses in the area who are very good at recreating vintage or historical area costumes. There are places online that sell historic recreations that we sometimes use. We have closets full. I think each one of us has a, a separate closet or more stuffed with, with costumes and such that we've accumulated. Um, that's another that's another way that someone could help support our group is if we have had people that say, I cleaned out my grandmother's attic. Would you like this? And it's just an absolute treasure chest of beautiful clothing, gloves, slips, you know, wonderful things. So some people have things that they're willing to share with us. And that just really is a gift. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Ruth. That was Ruth Pangrace from Women in History, a group that performs the lives of famous historical women at organizations all around Northeast Ohio. You can check out their website, womeninhistoryohio.com. They got their schedule on there. You can contact them for kudos or joining the organization, donations, anything like that. So thank you very much for joining us, Ruth. I'm so excited that you invited me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And now the news you cannot use. Do not try to use this news in any format, it will end up being a failure. Christine, if you think the Euclid Public Library has an impressive comic book collection, both in the adult and the youth services department, well, you're right. But even we don't compare with the Library of Congress. Just ask newly sworn in California Congressman Robert Garcia 
Underneath the Constitution he used for the swearing-in ceremony, Garcia placed an original copy of the Superman number one comic book from the Library of Congress, according to Smithsonian.com. Garcia says he learned to read and write English by reading comics as a kid and embraces Superman's values of truth and justice and standing up for people that need support. Now that he's started his term, Garcia will have plenty of access to the Library of Congress's collection, but he still might want to visit Euclid to look at our Superman books, as well as the nearby Superman house where creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster invented Superman. What would you swear on if you had to choose any book? Hmm, I don't know. Probably something related to baseball. I know mine. It's Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. There you go. An idea sprung up in Minneapolis recently that might also be popular around here, a dog library. According to CBSNews.com, handyman Will Mound put his skills to use building a contraption similar to the Little Free Libraries, sometimes seen around this area. In honor of dogs that have passed away, people in the Minneapolis neighborhood are now putting items such as treats, toys, leashes, and dog food into the structure. Now people walking their dogs can take items as needed or add something for the next dog coming along. How sweet. And that's the news you cannot use. Thanks for listening to Checked Out. You can learn more about Euclid Public Library by stopping in or going to our website, euclidlibrary.org.